The next time you have an emergency, head straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122 in Johnston, or East Greenwich 5750 Post Road. AtMed Urgent Care. Urgent health care facility providing comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families, specializing in ambulatory medicine. Diagnostic treatment service, AtMed Urgent Care. They provide immunization, school, sports physicals. They're a cost-efficient health care alternative to hospital-based emergencies. They're open seven days a week, walk-in routine urgent care, minor surgical, orthopedic and trauma, work-related injuries, physical exams, drug testing, full laboratory services, and with AtMed Urgent Care, they offer mononuclear antibody infusions. You, someone in your family suffering from covid you want to go straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, Johnston, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122, or East Greenwich, 5750 Post Road, online at atmedurgentcare.net. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, Petro.com. It's time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining me, he's the managing editor for <clears throat> anchorrising.com it is justin katz and justin i'd like to start off i thought it was um really uh amazing and not in a good way that governor mckee to me it also seemed hastily that they got everyone together and uh groundbreaking uh for the soccer stadium even though channel 12 you know there's a lot of pushback already on that channel 12's done some very good reporting apparently Pawtucket doesn't even really have the, the money they had scarves made up, and then, of course, they packed the place with laborers. So if anyone want to ask anything, it's almost like a level of intimidation. But I'd like to give you a thoughts on that. I, I thought it was uh, that Tidewater Landing is it's atrocious. It doesn't make sense. And yet Governor Key didn't want to miss out on a photo op. Oh, well, certainly. And it's I mean, the strategy he's got for the election is becoming is painfully clear. If you if you search the news for. Uh, say Rhode Island governor, uh, the top of the top of the search is all how much money he's giving away to nonprofits or housing or this or that. And Tidewater's right in that, uh, that area. I mean, I noticed he was endorsed by the transit union and there's, there are plans for a train up to Boston from there. So the, the whole thing is just a union buy-off. So that's, that's his audience and that's who he wants to, to get there. And it's, it was interesting to me, not only was it, not only were there uh, labor people there, but, peculiarly and here's kind of the back the meta story of how the news is made i'd love to i'd love to know more about that i think it was a providence journal interviewed several local students i think from johnson and wales who all thought it'd be great to be pro soccer players if if there were more opportunities for that it's like somebody even went out and recruited kids to come and talk about their dreams of being pro soccer players as if as if this you know corrupt deal is really going to help uh, so that's that's what they're that's the game they're they're buying off constituencies that's their audience and that's who they've got to play for. And as, as you mentioned, it's going to be, I think, a disaster. WPRI did report the, the tax increment finance bonds. They're not, that's, so this is 
where for for the government to be, to be able to say something's not going to cost anything, they created this this tool where we're only going to take the extra taxes that it's going to generate, and that's all that's going to go toward it, which is baloney because when it comes in short, everybody else has to pay for it. And as WPRI has reported, they already don't think they're going to get enough extra revenue to cover it. So uh, the next thing will be whether they they're actually going to get their average seventy six hundred visitors per game and. When that doesn't come in, we'll get all kinds of excuses and and uh, goalpost moving uh, on that as well. So that's another number to watch. But it's just, as you said, it's a, it's atrocious. It's it's kind of gross uh, to watch it in action. But you know, it it's a a winning formula in some regards. Whether it wins for McKee, I guess we'll see. The um his attitude afterwards when they were questioning him, and some reporters did try to say. You know, what do you say to those? The numbers really just don't add up. Um, he's done trying to almost, to me, it's almost like he's not even attempting a logical conversation anymore. Now it's become, well, I would tell them to wake up uh, and then just goes through his laundry list as the Lieutenant Governor Matos looks on. It's, um, I, I think, Justin Katz, he's just fallen into like, that's my story and we're sticking to it. It doesn't matter whether it makes sense if there are, you know, legitimate objections that people may have. He's just decided, made promises. Everyone's long for the ride. Um, you know, and it, it's also interesting to me, you know, the, the mayor of Pawtucket, for some reason, they, they keep this whole thing of like, it's the least we could do because they lost the Paw Sox. But Worcester is, that thing is, you know, that's going to end up being, it was a good thing that we, we lost the Paw Sox because, <laughs> because of just how much that's, you know, costing but Justin Katz, on top of that, you know, just how much the stadium keeps rising. The fact that he was so anxious to do the let's do the shovel, because let's let's face it, that there was still there's no reason to do it right away. It, it doesn't mean that they're going to start building right away. Um, he's just going down a different path. It's all about and kind of what you said. But I, I just don't remember the last time we had someone who is basically he is willing to. It's it's like an auction. I mean, no matter what someone says, he'll stick up his hand. He's like trying to buy it. He will. It's a wish list. Whoever has, if someone can deliver votes to him and it's union oriented, it sounds like you know. Should he win the primary, that uh, there's going to be some pretty expensive IOUs waiting in the backdrop. Oh yeah, certainly. We should definitely worry that this is a a down payment on on his future gifts to these people i mean as we've discussed a whole lot he's he's not subtle so i think what we're seeing is you see right through kind of a more standard politics where his audience is this group of people who don't who who can get deliver votes for him in the primary the the union members and so on and so it doesn't matter so what do you say to people who disagree you know basically he's saying i would tell them that i don't represent them and i'm going to say exactly what the special interests who are going to put me in office want to hear and that that's That's basically what's happening and and what we really should remember he he had one line about something but Pawtucket's the city that uh, what was it the city that was left behind is how he put it and no Pawtucket fell behind. Rhode Island is falling behind. It's not right. something that somebody else is doing to us. It's something that we're doing to ourselves. And it's exactly these sorts of projects, the special interest giveaways, this sort of approach to doing things irrationally and not taking other sides into account. That 
that is what's destroying Rhode Island. You know, I, uh, I follow a, a writer, James Lilax, out in Minneapolis, uh, and he relatively conservative uh, op-ed writer, and he he blogs about Minneapolis all the time. And he's, he was recently posting pictures of all these brand new, beautiful buildings that are completely empty. And if they're not empty, they're still not generating a lot of action in their in a local community. And, and in, so they've displaced kind of a local community feel with these giant buildings that nobody lives in. Or if they live in them, they don't go right into the neighborhood. They just go to work and go home. And that's, that's a very real possibility. And I think that's what we'll see in Pawtucket. We're gonna build these things it's going to be a lot more expensive than we think it's going to be now or that they're telling us it's going to be. And then it's not going to do what they're telling us. Everybody likes the idea of we make an investment now and in 20 years, 10, 20 years, we're going to look at this great neighborhood that's thriving and, and backbone of the region. No, that, that doesn't have to happen. And it, I don't think it's going to happen in this case. And we have no one to blame but ourselves. As I said, it's, it's not somebody else doing this to Pawtucket. It's Pawtucket and Rhode Island making bad decisions, but they want to distract from that. That's kind of the job of Rhode Island politicians. I also want to just, just so people fully understand it again, folks, we're with Justin Katz, our segment is politics this week. Justin, this one is a little bit different though. If you step back, as far as, you know, no one to blame but ourselves, simply because, number one, he wasn't elected. He was appointed, you know, he's f- fulfilling Gina Raimondo's term. Number two, the Commerce Board, he, you know, picked that Michael Solomon, got him on. He put some people, he had some options and opportunity. He put some people on the boat on the board that would vote the way he wanted to. And, and then even then, they somehow convinced two people not to vote so then he could have the tiebreaker. In this situation, my my blame goes that this is Governor McKee taking advantage of the position. I um, I I think if this went on the ballot, the voters would not go along with it. It's not like we elected him to that position, and who gets a slot on the Commerce Board is not a guy that said about if I'm elected, I'm going to do this or that. He, to me, he, this is just complete abuse of power from someone who. If Gina Raimondo had not gotten that position with with President Biden, she he wouldn't be in that position anyway. Oh, sure, those are those are great points, and and we we can't take the blame off of him. But uh, no, but in generally, I, I you know. Remember, he was the better bet for lieutenant governor versus Aaron Reidenberg. And that that situation where Rhode Island could generate nobody more impressive or competent than those two. You know, you had you had the incompetent versus the scary ideologue. I mean, that was basically the choice. That is our that is our doing in Rhode Island. We and and I mean. To some extent, I mean, the, the special interests in the, the unions and so on, the left and the Democrats have structured things so that to make it like that. But they are us in some regards. They're Rhode Islanders. And so we've done it to ourselves. He's, he's taking advantage of it in a, in a really kind of pathetic and, and ter- terrible way. Uh, but 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 it was there to be taken advantage of. And I think we we need to you know take a long, hard look at how we get ourselves in these situations. And af- after he's gone, probably after this election, uh, then. We, we really need to re- restructure things at a real basic level in Rhode Island politics. Folks, uh, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor for AnchorRising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. J. Perry Paving. Folks, you can depend on J. Perry Paving. They provide high-quality, fair-pricing, exceptional service over 20 years' experience specializing in commercial paving residential paving 
seal coating patios, and much more. Call them today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. They are tremendous. They also, how about this, once a month, they provide a free paved driveway to a veteran. And remember, whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, call J. Perry Paving for a free quote. It makes a huge difference in your property, in your home, in your driveway or patio. 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving. 401-732-1730. You can also find them on Facebook. They're terrific. Hey, get that driveway paved. Call and book an appointment now, 401-732-1730 for J. Perry Paving. Our segment is Politics This Week. With me is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, I want to just touch on the Block Island Ferry, what happened, the reaction, or or as I would say, the non-reaction from people afterwards. So you had some problems over on the island. Uh, it then continued. You know, video was posted. I posted a video that showed a group of individuals, and several of them were then arrested on the boat that were fighting at, at balance. It was on uh, VJ day over on, on the Island. And then, you know, you, they, the, the, the police, uh, you know, this talk that there was a gunshot uh, fired off on the ferry that they had, to, it was very dramatic when they had to have the state police in the, the, the coast guard brought them onto the boat while it was moving. And, you know, you see the picture and it is what it is. It was uh, seven people of color. And that's who was also, you know, fighting. And then there was some woman who I actually interviewed who's being charged that she threw a knife overboard. But it was a real danger for people that were trapped on the ferry and obviously generated a lot of news. And I noticed there was no reaction from Governor McKee, Lieutenant Governor Matos, all the people arrested Providence, Pawtucket. And I just compared that to what happened you and i go back to the political theater of the red reading room with the communists and then the you know the whatever the neo-nazis are outside there was no one harmed outside of that the political reaction the people reacting to it left and right this was real danger people were trapped on the ferry it could have gotten a lot worse the police response was off the charts and um but look at how and even the way the media treated it that they were very cautious to point out that you know, you look at the individuals, it was all people of color basically arrested. They were all from Providence, Pawtucket. Uh, it caused a lot of havoc on the ferry and on the island. And uh, it's complete silence on the reaction on it. Yeah, I, I think uh, you, you, you give it exactly the right framing in, in, the, in terms of the people in office don't want to solve real problems. They want to solve no. false problems like, like neo-Nazis disrupting a a half a dozen people reading the communist manifesto. I mean, that, that's the real problem in their view, not, not people actually in danger. You know, I, what it makes me think of is when I, when I grew up in New Jersey, my friends and I would, would go up and down uh, the coast to different t- towns, seaside, sleaside, Wildwood. And we, you could see the crowd moving as, as we were kind of the leading edge of the, the bad crowd, I guess. And so we would get there, it'd be kind of all families. And then the last year we'd be there, it would be like, like this, like New York City moving in for the summer. And you saw exactly these kind of problems, brawls, it was, it, was a, it, it started to feel very urban. And I think that, that to me is probably what's happening here. It's just Block Island's in fashion in that crowd now. What I thought was interesting though, is the blame they're putting on Ballard, who happens to be 
uh, Blake Filippi's brother, Steve, although yep. I, I don't think Blake's very much involved. I think there's a family feud going on there, but yeah. he's running for the town council. And so that makes me start to wonder if, if there's some local politics going on there where they're trying to scapegoat uh, this particular guy and this particular company for, for something that's really just the, the fashionable place for people from the urban area who are going to fight and do whatever are is to go to Ballard or to go to Block Island. And that's what's happening. I mean, I noticed in July, the local police did a spot check of every of to see who which bars would serve underage people. And six bars did. It wasn't just Ballard. So that I think that's really what it is. And th- to go back to your framing, it's they're not the people in charge are not interested in solving real problems because if you solve real problems, you're not focusing on the businesses that are drawing because I don't they haven't changed the way they're doing business as far as I know. There's just a new crowd is coming that they're not really able to handle so well. So you control that crowd, and I and that's what they don't want to do. You know, you increase your police force, have more police presence on the ferries themselves. That's the kind of thing a government does when it when it's trying to let people be free while securing uh, the safety of innocent bystanders that's that's what you do and you know you do a few spot checks in a line at night and I, I guarantee you if every if for a few weeks a dozen or so young adults don't get to go home because they were detained because they were drunk you'll you'll quickly they'll find a new spot the the crowd will move on to a different to charleston or something um that that's what will happen but that takes kind of a practical approach instead of getting all caught up in, in, you know, bl- blaming a bar or, or trying to fun- squeeze it into, you know, the a helpful ideology that the, that the government folks think will get them reelected with their constituencies. What do you think would have been the reaction if the people arrested happened to be members of that group Patriot front who were marching <laughs> in Boston do you think it would have been a, a different reaction than the non-reaction we saw on this? Oh my goodness! I mean, I, not long ago there was—I think we talked about news. There was a, a parade of about fifty of the, those types of people, the the young neo-fascist guys, walking down the street in Boston. Right? They wouldn't have had to fight. All they would have had to do is take out some flags on the upper deck of the ferry. That's and right. That would, been an international sensation. I mean, so that's there's that's what I mean. Where we're, they're they're in this, our media and our politicians are in this kind of fantasy world uh, where they and they don't they don't want to solve real problems. It's the same thing as they're now you know they don't want to talk about gang violence. It's all it's all got to be gun control. You know, it's not it's not the fact that we've got gangs. It's not the fact that the city of Providence has has made it harder for police to to fight gangs in recent years no 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 that's not it it's really about systemic racism and it's about this and the other thing and guns uh, that's that's the thing if, if <laughs> yeah as i said if if a, a group of those you know those cosplaying neo-fascists just all they had to would have had to do is pull their white their white scarves over their face and march around the upper deck for five minutes and that would have been there would have been a video all over twitter and facebook and and it would have been msnbc cnn maybe the new york times talking about how even on a block island ferry the fascists are taking over that that would have been the story and i think it would have been much bigger news and you would have gotten mckee and all of them we must stop hatred in our community and so on and so forth well i think of uh, you know channel 12 had on that Harrison Tuttle of the uh, Black Lives Matter pack and unchallenged on both channel, I think it was both 10 and 12, but they allowed him to go on the news and say the biggest threat in Rhode Island right now is white supremacy. It's the largest threat in Rhode Island. It's one thing if he wants to think that. It's another thing he wants to say it, but to go unchallenged in the, in the media doing an interview where there's, there's zero evidence of that and 
you just look at, you would say, okay, all the problems and shootings that you have in Providence and Pawtucket, look at what happens when some of those individuals go just for the day and they go to a place like Block Island. They, they bring their problems with them. Now they're bringing the violence that we see in Providence and Pawtucket where, you know, there's a knife, people were stabbed, somebody shot off a gun. Well, now they're bringing them, you know, there. Is it possible, as much as Mayor Lords always says, this is always about the guns, I think, Justin, this showed, no, this is the individuals that possess those weapons. That That is the real problem here. But it is comical, and you're exactly right about Patriot, uh, Patriot Front. But I, I just, it was comical. If that had been seven people arrested and they were all members of that group or as you say they just unfurled the banner my god they would all the politicians they would have been falling over themselves and the way the as soon as the the local media realized as soon as the state police released the mugshots and the names of who it was that was arrested i also for those that saw the coverage i was the only one that showed who it was that was being handcuffed and led into the police cars. It's actually, as I think of it, Justin, it's kind of comical because it was last Monday night. I'm next to 10, 12, and 6. They all got there by that point. One of the individuals was filmed, and then he walked right past past us like a perp walk, and I didn't realize it till the next day. I'm the only one that filmed that and showed that the rest of them refused to show it because it was this large man of color who actually even flipped me off as he was putting on a shirt because I wasn't going to be persuaded from that. I also want to um, just get your thought on last week. uh, It was revealed that totally switching topics, but that um, the, the race for general treasurer, James Deosa, the mayor of Central Falls, who's heralded, he was almost going to be the next lieutenant governor if McKee had stuck with the original plan, but instead he threw her overboard for Sabina Matos. But he took, I don't know, countless free trips, free trips. This guy went on a world tour, free mayor of Central Falls, free trips, almost as if he was traveling every single weekend, uh, complete boondoggles. Now, granted, taxpayers not paying for it, but still, Another example of a politician taking these free trips and you really didn't I I didn't see or hear a lot of criticism about it. And the only thing I can think of is because he's a Latino who's who's running for general treasurer was the mayor of Central Falls. Well, maybe I, I, you know, I think it reminded me of when McKee flying off to China, yes. you know, just to, I, I think I'm not sure it's it's very far afield from the topics we've already been discussing this morning. I mean, or the, today he he we've really lost sight of what mayors are intended to do. They're, they're they're there to run your city. That's that's their job. But once you start talking like the mayor and the government is supposed to run everything and plan our future and then you start giving them license to travel the world and it, they'll find all kinds of pretenses to do, do their you know 26 trips around the world that's that oh this is for economic development this is for that or the other thing but when you what the problem is we've got we, we let them go off their off their role which is making sure that your the neighbors aren't fighting that the fire department's doing what it's supposed to do the police are in line uh the town's running smoothly the the roads are paved we we fail in all these respects in, in rhode island and that's it's because we've gotten we've forgotten what our government's supposed to do and i think diosa's here is is really a a big example of that where it's just you know you're you're not supposed to be 
as a mayor flying around the world. You're not doing international relations. That's not what we've assigned mayors to do in our, right. our civic society. But that's what they think they get to do as politicians. They're the big men and men and women in their community, and they get to they get to do these things because oh, I don't know. I'm planning. I'm representing our city in in East Timor or whatever it was. You know, that's that's really uh, you know it's it's a big problem. I think although it will get covered up not not only for race reasons or for identity politics, but because it's just part of the game. And the only complaint the news media can find is you didn't report this properly on your, on your ethics filings, which makes everybody else kind of eyes glaze over because they're not really telling the story that, that needs to be told. And that's how we allow these mayors to think they're world travelers. Yeah. Just because you're offered a, a, a free trip doesn't mean you have to take every single free trip that is offered uh, you know, Alorza also went into this. This is one of the problems. Uh, you get these people, no background. And, you know, all we're told is what a success story they are and blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, they, they, I'm sure they can't believe, look at that, I'm getting a free trip. And even those around them think like, wow, he won the lottery. Uh, I think one of the best examples, Justin Katz, was when that John Hopkins scathing report came out. Alorza was heading off on a free trip to Hawaii. Why? Because it was free. Uh, they think it's like one of the perks of the office. Nothing is learned. Nothing is gained other than just a free trip. And I think it, you know, as much as they talk sometimes about public service and the low pay, uh, all these free trips all over the world, that DOSA stuff, that is ludicrous. That the mayor of one square mile, he should be in his own city truly trying to work on the education, trying to improve things and certainly make things safer for people. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401 885 4209. In Massachusetts, you can reach them at 508 252 3359. Propane heating and cooling. It's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment. It's Propane Plus, and remember with Propane, it's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and now it's renewable. Call Propane Plus today at 401 885-4209. In Massachusetts, call them at 508-252-3359. They're very easy to navigate website. It's propaneplus.com. Propane Plus. Call them 401-885-4209. Our segment is Politics This Week. With me is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorrising.com. Well, Justin, last week, uh, the story, and it seems it's going to filter into this week, but the uh, the big raid at uh, Mar-a-Lago. Um, I'm just wondering your thoughts on. I don't know yet, and I'm not sure we do know yet. But I'm just looking at that CD2 race, and they've already made such a big deal that former Cranston Mayor Alan Fung attended the inauguration of President Trump, and someone gave him. It was cold. It was in January. Someone gave him a winter hat that had Trump on it, and they've made such a big deal about it. Um, I'm just wondering your thoughts on how the raid could come into play with uh, perhaps the race for governor and also the CD2 race. Well, I, you know, I, 
It, it's an interesting angle because I've a lot of the reaction I've seen on both sides of the aisle is that, that this was kind of a politically speaking a, a blunder on a Democrat's part. It, it did not play well with people, uh, and it looked kind of you know fascist, which which it was um, raiding the a president's house rather than if he's got documents rather than just sending a few police to knock on a door and you know a few FBI agents and say hey could we have these documents back you know that there are a lot of ways to go. They love the raids. They love and you, you, with all we've seen in the past four year, five years, you, you really do kind of reasonably have to wonder what were the FBI, you know, they come in, they clear out the building, they search. Are they taking only what's in the warrant? Who knows? What else are they seeing and taking pictures of? What are the, what's the real purpose here? And that, that kind of stuff does not play well with Americans. And I've seen a, a number of moderate Republican types who are starting to say, yeah, you know what? We were on board with the Democrats when they were talking about how he violated norms, but this is kind of norm violating. You know, this is kind of not what we were signed on for. And so I think it helps moderate Republicans uh, in the sense that people are starting to question whether was Trump really that much different or did he just fight back? And so he's kind of exposing how corrupt our system is, which a lot of people who came around to Trump like me really started to, to notice. And I think that that works well for Alan Funk because the, to the extent Trump does not is, is shown to be not this unusual norm breaking unprecedented character in American politics, it takes a, basically the only argument the Democrats have against Fung away. I still, but that said, I, I don't think, I, I think his, his main focus should be, you know, I, I'll be a voice in the leading party in Washington, if you elect me, well, you know, as one, the one Republican on our congressional delegation. And I, as we discussed last week, you know, that includes kind of normalizing being Republican and saying, look, yeah, there are reasons to be Republican. There's, we have some good ideas. And I think part of it is we won't, we don't raid people's houses, like we, president's houses like this. And we won't, we don't play the fascist game. And I think that's, that's a very, there's a very compelling story there to tell. And it can get pretty, it can get, that's the theme. It can get pretty broad. I wrote on Anchor Rising this week. It seemed very similar to me in a strange way. The, the Biden administration is cracking down on, on religious schools and or like like Catholic schools, and they're they're threatening to take away poor kids' subsidized lunches if the schools don't bow to, to sexual identity politics. That is very much the same kind of fascist. We're just going to tell you how you have to live, and we're going to use the government in any way possible to enforce our point of view. And I think that whole range of ideas it takes a little bit of time to master, but I think that's a very strong argument moderates could make. And the Mar-a-Lago raid is a very, very much a, a bright light in that in that field. I think they were going <clears> to. <throat> it's going to play. Uh, they're going to try to find a way to work it into the general election. Uh, between Mayor Fung and, and it would certainly seem. Let's go through some of the races, starting with the race for governor. Right now, uh, how you view, we are, by the way, a week from Wednesday starts the early voting. And to me, that's going to answer a lot of questions why, you know, there were still some people oblivious, doesn't seem like traditional campaigns. You don't see, it's the way they've constructed it with all this early voting and ballots. I, I think that's the reason. But just... Um, how you see, I want to mention a candidate. You tell me where you think they stand right now. Why don't we start at the top with Governor McKay? Well, I think he's flailing um, from any standard politics. But, you know, it's interesting. The 
I, maybe I missed it in the past, but more than I can remember, a lot of the reporting on local politics is just a listing of endorsements. This yeah. group endorsed them. This group endorsed them. And I, McKee's doing pretty well in that race because, as we discussed already, he's just giving away millions of dollars. And so, you know, it's it's easy to to get endorsements when you're promising people a million bucks. I mean, it's just kind of you know it's the three thousand dollars we've been talking about for state workers as a just a give me bonus giveaway that's right. bonus. That's that's nothing compared to millions and millions to small organizations that happen to have large audiences like unions or nonprofits. Uh, so he's doing pretty well in the, the endorsement game, and I you know I, I can't help but wonder part of it's just because they're not campaigning in a the standard way because they don't have to they're just gonna they get the constituents they break it up they get the they get people to ballot harvest for them using these constituency lists and and there you go that's the way the game is played and i think that's that's really the only way mckee gets over to finish line is if he's able to buy enough votes rather than because he if it were a standard campaign he, he'd lose just like he's lost in the past and almost lost to aaron regenberg for lieutenant that's governor right. which would have been not, not only would have been bad for the state but would have been incredibly embarrassing for for mckee on policy or plans it's all just announcing endorsements and you're exactly right yeah. justin there's there's big price tags attached to these endorsements how do you think the gorbea campaign is doing well i think they're doing i mean as well as they can she I, you know i i haven't found her I haven't found her to be to tell be telling a very compelling story of no. why she should run be governor. Why she, I mean, her latest ad, I'm sure it shores up some of kind of the way certain constituencies among the Democrats vote. It's just you know, like Nelly from around the block. You know, I, it's okay. Well, can you run things? And that's so. I, that's not a strong. She can't. It doesn't have a strong case there. It's, I don't. No. And she hasn't been making it anyway. I mean, it's and it goes back to as you were mentioning before with the lawyers, just people who, who okay, what's your, what's your background? How are you, how are you qualified to run a state of a million people? I mean, I just it. So she doesn't have a compelling story. But I think with folks stealing away and splitting McKee's vote, uh, Nellie's got a, a reasonable path to to winning, which is which is interesting and I think telling and and of the ways Rhode Island is tripping over itself. Yeah. I think it's incredible that if let's face it, if you weren't really paying attention, there'd be very good reasons you wouldn't know that she's even running. She hasn't accomplished anything. The ads are not, she doesn't have any bold vision. Uh, I'm going to stick with my prediction that this all just goes back to the fact about ballots. And I, I don't know what type of campaign Matt Brown is running. It certainly isn't a very visible one. But the, the last one that still seems to be trying, at least, is just your thought on, on Helena Folks. It's, um, I mean, think of that. Early voting starts uh, a week from Wednesday, Justin Katz. And there's been still, there's no major debate. There's at least one coming, maybe two. But I, I don't, I, I'm going to say she just has not done enough to break through. Well, just going back to Nelly for a second, I mean, it'll be very interesting to watch the breakdown of of how people vote. I mean, if if, if Gorbea wins in a big way with mail ballots, uh, it'll kind of forecast everything you've been saying for years now. It's yeah. just, she she was sec the Secretary of State, won with yeah. mail ballots, huh? Isn't that interesting? But so you've got her potentially with that advantage. You've got McKee buying things, and as you say, folks is the only one who seems to be trying. I mean, she, she I just saw recently she put out a couple very kind of small and not very detailed plans about a particular medical 
thing, policy she'd like to work on, uh, I think for diabetes and something else. But she's at least, she put out an education plan. So among the Democrats, she's, she's the one who's kind of doing the standard, putting out policy suggestions, here's what I'll do. And it's, you know, it's not surprisingly, she's also uh, a business person. So she, she's got that, this is what you do. You, you create plans and you tell people and you, you pitch them and you sell them on them and get their votes or their money if you're in a business. So she is running that standard campaign. The, the question is, can she get those folks who would just vote for you know, kind of the moderate in a race and they've got a, a, some economic sense some business sense around them? Can she get them to know who she is in time? And that's the question. I'm not I'm not so sure. And it's going to take a lot to to kind of overcome. And I think actually it may be that uh, some of the other races well, I'm trying to think. There aren't. A, there isn't a lot of motivation for Republicans to vote no. in the Republican primary. So, no. fo- folks, I wonder, it may, may be missing an opportunity by not trying to somehow woo uh, Republicans or uh, un- undesignated Republicans uh, to to cross over into her point. into her That's primary and vote for her. Because she, although then you know, as we've discussed as well, Callis would want to dis- discourage that because. She doesn't want to run against folks. She wants to run against McKee. Right. You know, that's a very good point. But that was also, I think, one of the unforced errors she made when she came out of the box and was immediately, you know, my name is Helena Folks and I hate Trump and I shouldn't have given him McConnell and blah, blah, blah. I just want to start to go down on a laundry <laughs> right. list. Yeah, good Justin point. Katz, now, I, I think um, in, in CD, CD2, uh, Dan McGowan claims that David Siegel basically is completely just focused on winning Providence, which could be interesting if his plan is that he could get a big because part of cd2 is providence not a huge part but but it's like he, dan mcgowan described it's like he's running a state senate race everything is just focused in providence but other than that and again i think they are handicapped that these debates if anything are so late because i don't think you know we haven't seen anybody like take fire the way sometimes the campaign you can just see the momentum shift and start to take off but um I just I don't I don't see I want your thought, but I don't see any change in that CD2 race. Sarah Morgenthal, it begins and ends with uh, the fact that she failed to get Joy Fox out of the race. It makes two women magazine of benefits from the large field. Do you see any different outcome than than magazine? I don't, I don't see them even putting a chink in his armor. No, it, it all feels kind of pro forma, doesn't it? Like they're just all kind of going through the through the motions like why is yeah. why is joy fox even in it still you know right. it's just it's not clear and it's because they're all they're all just going through the motions they're not talking about policy and i think the debates go back to that because po- debates are all about policy it's, i mean you're not going to sit there and debate how many people you're going to how many ballots you're going to harvest or how much money you're giving right away. You, so i think that the debate lack of debates is both a contributor and and symptom of the that loss of kind of what's this campaign really about uh and it, so it is surprising but no I, I don't see much much motion there i think uh, especially once you got langevin like langevin endorsing magaziner was kind of the the signal i think okay this is this is where we're going uh and it's it's not easy to break through when when it's no longer about policy and the media doesn't seem to care about that um and just some of the other races you know the mayor of providence you have the three that uh, Nerva LaFortune, a uh, woman of color, who I don't think she's running a very good campaign. You have Brett Smiley, who ran, you know, back in 14 and then worked for Mayor Lords and then worked for Governor Mundo. And then this Gonzalo Cuervo. You know, as someone pointed out to me, 
um, sometimes you know, it's a real reflection of where Providence is of, of who's this person, of who's not running. Like you don't notice, you don't have a successful business person. You don't have someone that came up and, you know, lived in Providence and maybe did some kind of a startup and, uh, you know, the way you do like in some of the other cities, like an Andrew Yang or, or Michelle Wu. I, I think it's, it's, it's reflective of Providence of the type of candidates you have for mayor of Providence that let's, let's face it. You look at the crop, one of the three is going to win. And I don't, I didn't see any, any major change of development coming with, with from the camps of any of those three. No, not at all. And, and you, you put your finger on a very good point. And I, I worry, well, not worry, I'm pretty confident Rhode, Providence is a is kind of just the leading edge for Rhode Island here, where, you know, people who've run businesses and done things, why would they go into government service exactly. in Rhode Island? Why yeah. would they? I mean, they can see it's nobody cares about policy. And they can see they'll never be able to get anything actually done because the moment they start to, to put anything forward, uh, especially at the, the municipal level, you know, a mayor of Providence can start to get make some progress. And what will happen? All the special interests uh, and ideologues right. will go to the General Assembly and, and they'll step in and, and take over. You just you can't do any good. And at the same time, you're you're sure to be vilified and, and made to be seem like a villain for everybody in Rhode Island. And who wants that, you know, late in your career after you've done some successful stuff? So I, I best part of our problem, we just can't draw those people. And I think Providence is a good, good indicator of that. You've got, you know, the, the local folks who, who are rep- kind of ethnically representative, perhaps, of the, the area. Then you've got Smiley, who tries to get in under the under the minority guise of being gay. Uh, so that that's, that's really what, you, what you're left with. And <laughs> there ought to be more think pieces and op-eds and, and uh, columns by our local intelligentsia to say, where, where is the Joe Paolino? Why is there not somebody running for mayor who, who's actually done something and can run businesses? What are we doing? Why do we have this group of losers? But of course they can't call them losers because then they'll get, they'll get themselves in trouble. But I think that's, that's Providence is very telling in that regard. It's just, there's nobody who, who seems really qualified who wants to run. And that's, that's really, I don't know, starts to raise questions about whether we can do democracy in Rhode Island. You know, it's also funny, Justin, now you see, and I really now understand more, how the people that were backing Cianci, at the very, I, their mind basically was, listen, no one's going to clean it up, but at least he's entertaining. And at least <laughs> he put you out there, and, and at least he represented Providence well. If you put him on a stage with other politicians, he certainly would dominate the stage. So if you look at that, no one's really going to clean it up, which they haven't, I would argue things have gotten worse under Amorza, much worse. Um, then you might at least well have someone who's entertaining and uh, could, you know, represent the, the city well. Folks, again, um, early voting starts a week from Wednesday. Our segment is Politics This Week. He is the managing editor, AnchorRising.com. It's Justin Katz. Justin, excellent job as always, and we will talk to you again. Thank you, John. The Senadale Revival. Stop it and see them. Comfort food and cocktails. You're going to love the Centerdale Revival, located 2025 Smith Street, North Providence, right in Centerdale, right across from North Providence Town Hall. Delicious food, delicious drinks, live entertainment on the weekends. Shane and his crew, they're waiting for you. A great time is going to be had by all at the Centerdale Revival, 2025 Smith Street in North Providence. Listening to the John DePietro Show, it's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Joining us right now, he is the president of National Right to Work. It's our friend, 
Mark Mix. And uh, first of all, Mark, good to hear from you. I'd love to hear and have you tell people about these targeted assassins. Yeah, John. Well, thanks for the opportunity to talk with you about this. This is all a, a continuation of a story that basically broke about two and a half weeks ago where the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation uh, had the privilege of representing a flight attendant that had worked for Southwest Airlines for over 20 years, had an unblemished employment record. And when she started talking to the union officials about the radical stands they were taking with her money that she had to pay as a condition of her keeping her job because she's under the cover by the Railway Labor Act, which gives union officials the privilege of forcing workers to pay them for the privilege of working or for the right to work. Um, when she objected to some of the things they were doing, the union bosses went to Southwest Airlines and demanded that she be fired because she was harassing through private emails and private Facebook messages to the union official that she, uh, that she disagreed with what the union was doing. And so Southwest Airlines complied with the union demand. They fired her. And then in the course of a jury trial that, that rewarded our plaintiff, Charlene Carter, with a $5.1 million judgment, we found out that the email traffic between union activists and Southwest Airlines basically included language of how we needed to do targeted assassinations of these rebellious union you know, represented workers like Charlene and that they were a cancer in the workplace and they needed to be eliminated. And obviously they... I don't know if they were talking literally or believe that literally, but certainly when they were talking about these things, they were targeting those workers that would stand up for their rights in the workplace to basically object to what the union was doing with their forced fees politically and on ideological issues they disagreed with. it. It's really an amazing story, but it's not surprising to us, John, and it shouldn't be surprising to other people because union officials, while they claim to represent these workers, they have an ideology and, and exercise it politically in ways oftentimes that are totally divergent from what these workers they claim to represent believe. Folks, again, we're speaking with Mark Mix. And Mark, but that type of language, targeted assassins, what's been the reaction within uh, Southwest? Well, they're trying to keep it quiet from what I understand, and I don't know how Southwest is dealing with the fact that union activists were communicating through email with, with actually employees of Southwest Airlines about this in their HR department, but I assume they need to pay attention to it because that type of, you know, kind of off-the-cuff comments about, you know, one worker who was a, a, a black lady who was, you know, going to mobilize people and was a cancer inside the workplace – and had to be, you know, eliminated uh, from the workforce, I imagine, you know, you'd think that they would respond to that dramatically and immediately. As far as we know, they haven't at this point. But what we do know is that when the jury heard the facts of all, how all of this stuff transpired and how Charlene Carter's rights were violated and her employment was ended because all she did was speak up about things the union was doing, and it wasn't even a conversation with the airline, John. It was a conversation with the union officials themselves, and the union officials felt offended by her views and decided that they wanted to have her fired. So hopefully there'll be more coming from it. And the one thing I think I do know that is going to happen is that hopefully other workers will see this and will have the courage to stand up and fight back against this type of compulsion and force. Folks, again, um, uh, Mark, I also I think it's interesting that one of the things that they went after her on was she opposed that Women's March on, on D.C., and, and that was in 2017 after President Trump came in office. And, and the important part about that that I think that, you know, the media sometimes ignores that people need to understand is a lot of these types of protests, they, they don't come together organically. These are organized. They're, it's mandatory un, some unions to attend. And they try to come off like, wow, look at all these people coming together when, in fact, it's, it's all part of it that people are afraid if they don't attend. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, and Charlene had these problems prior to this particular 2017 incident. She had resigned her union membership in 2013, and and basically she still had to pay fees to the union in order to keep her job. And she had to give up her workplace rights when it came to her ideological and religious rights. But you're exactly right, John. What the union did in this case was they used her money, her fees, and the fees of and the union dues of other members, and I'm using my finger quotes here, of the Transportation Worker Union Local 556 in Dallas, they used it for 20 union officials to attend that march. And they held a banner saying, you know, TWU 556 supports, you know, Planned Parenthood and supports the Women's March. And, and uh, you know, she objected to that. But you're right. They, they used union dues and fees and union revenue and used in treasury money to attend that march. And, yeah, it wasn't organic in any way, shape, or form. If they had to spend their own money, I suspect they might not have been there. Yeah, and, and you hear that. You see it, folks, uh, actually a lot, especially in our region with the teachers' unions, where if there's one district that's having a problem, all these teachers from, you know, the, the media will say, look at this, teachers came from these different areas to help them. And, and then you find out behind the scenes they, they, they weren't given a choice. They were told they had to go. Many times people are afraid of, you know, the blowback of what would happen with their position if they don't go. It's uh, it, it, from what they say to what what's going on in reality is very different, folks. And it is Mark Mix, National Right to Work. And Mark, if people want to learn more about this or just the organization, what's the best way for them to go about it? Yeah, John, they can find out about their legal rights in the workplace by going to nrtw.org, nrtw.org. That's the Legal Defense Foundation, and they can talk to an attorney about their rights in the workplace. If they want to know what's going on legislatively, they can go to the committee's website, which is www.nrtwc.org, and they can find out what's happening in, in your state legislature and what's happening in Congress and the types of fights we're battling right now trying to roll back this union-forced unionism power they've been granted in the federal law for so many years John. you know at some point i'd love you um we'll talk sometime either off air or but there's a, a big play that's happening right now we're um the the unions now they, they want to build uh mark as you can see where the economy is going right now and the price of building is is going up but i won't keep you but so they uh they came up with this they want to build the most expensive minor league soccer stadium in the country <laughs> and they would build it in rhode island it would be a pla slapped on a public labor yep. agreement no bid uh the the day that the vote went through now this is a minor league team which would be 20 miles from where the professional team plays which is the uh, new england revolution they play actually at gillette stadium owned by bob Kraft, and they draw maybe you know maybe that stadium obviously holds sixty-five thousand people maybe they draw fifteen thousand fans for the f professional soccer team this would be 20 20 miles down the road minor league and on the same day that the sitting governor received the endorsement from the AFL-CIO, he was the tie-breaking vote. This stadium initially was supposed to be, you know, like $60 million. The price of the, the costs have already gone to $150 million. And the governor, with his tie-breaking vote, voted to go ahead with the stadium, even though there's no support for it, nothing that shows that this would be successful. But, Mark, this is an example people don't get. This is his gift to labor in order to get the endorsement with it. Hey, if you're at the labor unions and the AFL-CIO, this is a no-bid, most expensive soccer, minor league soccer stadium in the country, and, and you don't have you know opportunities to build 10 of them. So this is really just done as like a gift to labor. 
Absolutely. I'd be glad to talk with you about that, John. And, you know, we have to say no other words than big dig to understand the implications right. of project labor agreements. I mean, check out the check out the the mass transit system in Honolulu. There's been stories breaking over weeks about a project that's 11 years overdue and it's over budget by you know, $140 million because it's a project labor agreement and it limits competition. Yep. And it does give these unbelievable favors to union bosses in the building trades and basically keeps 86% of all construction workers from competing on these jobs because they don't have a union card. Yeah. One last yeah. word on it. I will, we'll talk about, it. but of course, like everyone's scratching the head, boy, this doesn't make sense. Boy, you know, this isn't going to, of course it doesn't make sense. Cause that's not what it's about. That's about handing them this type of gift. Again, folks, it's Mark Mix. Mark, excellent as always. And we'll talk to you again. All right. Thanks, John.